Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Well, I insisted that Emily find a way to watch A Most Wanted Man, even though it's hard to find in the theaters now, because everybody needs a way to say goodbye to the most fabulous uh, and amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it's funny because Hunger Games came out way after this movie, but everybody considers this his last movie, even though he was filming the Hunger Games when he died. But I couldn't help but watch this movie and see exactly what was taken out of him, what what this movie took out of him, which might have been one of the tipping points to the fact that he went home and overdosed on heroin, which, if you look at... Who's the other guy who did that? Um, oh, Heath Ledger. Yeah. Mm. He had just finished playing the Joker. And that's certainly a role that's taken a lot And they said he couldn't come out of that role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said he was having trouble recovering from that role. And both he and Philip Seymour Hoffman take on the true personas of those roles. So, But I felt like it was my... You know, I hadn't seen it. He died in February, I think, or and something. And he died right after A Most Wanted Man premiered at the Sundance yeah, Film exactly. Festival. Exactly. That was it. That was it. Associated but it was almost it. like he wasn't gone until I'd seen this movie. And mm-hmm. then I was sad that I saw it because now he's truly gone. And know? yet I almost had the reverse feeling where I was really hesitant to watch because it was such a great loss to the acting world, mm-hmm. the untimely death of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I am glad that you encouraged me to watch it. I did find a way, which I really can't complain about. Um, oh, right, on your way back from Italy. Well, I was on my way to <laughs> Paris, and they were showing The Most Wanted Man. And at first I thought, oh, it's going to be so sad to see Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but I was glad to have him back. I was glad to have him back for those two hours. And yet it was hard to watch because he was such a gifted actor, which you really see in this movie how talented he was. Well, his accent. Not, keep in mind... Mm-hmm. He spoke English with a German accent. So what they were basically saying is he was German and Mm -hmm. it takes place there. So we'll go ahead and have him do English because everybody else is American. And God knows we Americans like people to speak our language. Mm -hmm. And we'll have him do it. And most people can't pull that off. And he did it so brilliantly. Oh, my gosh. His accent was wonderful. And it's funny, though, because it almost was one of these perfect global accents where you think, when I started watching, and mind you, I was watching it on a plane during turbulence, and so my audio was not the best. My God, I can't do it. When there's turbulence, I have to fly the plane. How could you possibly? Well, since I don't know how to fly a plane. Neither do I. That has nothing to do with it. (laughs) Flying is really my God-given talent, that I can sleep, eat, and watch movies, like my three great fortes, all at the same time sometimes. And um, I wasn't sure he was German when the movie opened. Um, it wasn't until I realized that his name was Gunter Bachmann that I thought, okay, clearly he must be German. But it worked for me, his accent yeah, completely. Totally worked. Because I thought maybe he's Scandinavian, maybe he's, um, but he's certainly a global operative-like figure. Um, of course, the movie is based on the, I hope I pronounced this name correctly, the Jean Le Carré book. I know that is a pseudonym. Um, who, of course, has brought us so many um, books and movies for the longest time. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, A Constant Gardener, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and now A Most Wanted Man. Yeah, and I have to say, when I saw that um, that he had written... Well, he also wrote um, uh, Constant Gardener. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I sort of want to throw that in, because Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, or whatever... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
is so similar that it's almost like, oh, okay, that's what he writes. He has this formulaic thing. Mm -hmm. But then when you go to Constant Gardener, you realize that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. But I just have to play this little short video piece for you uh, with the accent because I think it's just so perfectly done. This is when he's meeting for the first time the American... um, Played, of course, by Robin Wright. By Robin Wright, who always plays that cold, icy bitch. And when they put brown or dark, dark hair on her, she looks even worse. But... Here is where he's meeting her for the first time, and you'll get to hear the accent. I know you by reputation, of course. That can't be good. Men with good reputations usually aren't much use to me. What about women? This is my colleague, Anna Fry. Hello. Hello. She sails and spies. I don't sail. She sails and spies pause for the right amount of time I don't sail. A terrific performance and Philip Seymour Hoffman really stood his own. You know that I used to live in Germany and so I I watch uh, as many German movies as I can and I just want to give a special shout out to three of the German actors who are in this movie. They Mm. did not have big roles and yet they've all headlined major movies that I've enjoyed. Um, the first would be Nina Haas, who appears by Philip Seymour Hoffman's um, side in that I'm scene. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yes. Nina Haas starred in a movie that I, I totally um, recommend. It's called Barbara, or Barbara, playing an East German doctor. She did an amazing job. Um, almost unnoticed in this movie is the great young German actor Daniel Bruhl, who starred in Goodbye Lenin, which I don't know if you saw, but that was just such a great concept for a film. Where it's 1990, again in former East Berlin, his mother went into a coma while the wall was still standing. And of course, the wall has come down, the world has changed. She comes out of the coma, and the doctor announces to Danielle Buhl, um, your mother can't be given any shocking news. It will jeopardize her health. So they have to recreate the world of East Berlin and East Germany, um, you know, as their mother recovers oh, from the coma. what an interesting concept. Yeah. Wonderful movie. Is that a German movie? It's a German movie okay. called Goodbye Lenin. And the third person who appears in this, um, the third German, I should say, is Herbert Grunemeyer, who's an actor and was in such movies as Das Boot. Um, you know, which had a lot of worldwide acclaim, an older movie now, but he's also a German rock star. He's very popular. And I think at the end of this podcast, I might just toss on one of his German rock star songs, um, which he wrote as an ode to his wife who died of breast cancer. Very talented guy. Um, And just, you know, while we're on the German theme, one thing that I find fascinating is um, the financial incentives available to Hollywood movies. And Germany is renowned for its tax incentives and other incentives. And so it is wonderful to see these co-productions um, between Germany and the U.S. And, you know, a long way of saying that Philip Seymour Hoffman really just stood out as an American amongst this fabulous cast well, of German stars. Well, the one who stands stars. out as an American is mm-hmm. stupid Rachel <laughs> McAdams, who's totally oh, miscast. Rachel She's way too pretty and cute. And she doesn't have that toughness anywhere in her soul to be able to play this role. And all you wanted to say to her is, pretty soon, what's-his-name's going to show up and take her back where she belongs to the house on the river? And uh, the notebook. And, uh, you know, why did they bring her in? And they Mm -hmm. don't even give her star billing, so they didn't bring her in for her stardom. They clearly Mm -hmm. didn't. Somebody was sleeping with some. I mean, I don't know what it was, but there's no way Rachel McAdams should have gotten that part. Well, it's interesting because um, she did have... 
have a visual resemblance to Nina Haas, the German actress. And I didn't know oh, if that was done on purpose, that they both had the blonde hair and one mm-hmm. looked like an older version of the other. It was a curious casting choice to, to make her it do was. the German And by the way, it's the only and, one mm-hmm. that I thought was totally off. And also, Robin Wright Penn has got to start playing other roles. Now, of course, just will... Robin Wright. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Bitter, bitter person that I probably would be were I her. But I have to say, she's going to get typecast. You know, mm-hmm. she's playing the same role in all of these shows and all of these movies, and she's got to be careful. Um, Interesting. It but, is very much like a yeah, House of Cards role. Well, House of Cards, you know. and even Message in a Bottle, where she just doesn't show emotion. You know, she just, you know, she has to, she's going to have to dig deeper. She reminds me of well, Madonna. Really? You know, yeah. Well, and maybe because maybe because of Sean oh Penn. Oh, yes. They, of your course, inner psychologist yeah. I mean, is that, coming that was out. His true love was Madonna, but the reason she reminds me of her is because there's a sameness to everything that she does, excepting, of course, the Princess Bride. Oh well, you know, I I only see Mandy Patinkin in that. I, don't. I have to say too, I saw Robin Wright not that long ago in a movie um, where she played an Australian. And her accent oh, was where, where she, fabulous. Yeah, she sleeps with her best friend's son, that one. Played by Nicole Kidman's yeah, real-life best exactly. friend. Yeah. Yes. Well, all, you know, I, I think the casting was really good. I just think Rachel McAdams, you know, mm-hmm. was sort of like, where's Waldo? And, you know, she just didn't Especially belong. when you could have gone yeah. to a German actress to play right. the German lawyer. Like Diane Kruger would have been a fine choice and kept the you financial know, incentive. And I have to say the ending of this screenplay was really, really, really good. And what's really interesting about that is you thought you were finished. Mm-hmm. In other words, you thought it was winding down in those last few seconds. And, you know, again, we won't spoil it totally. But you just don't expect that end. And it was brilliant. And it was almost the crowning glory on how you can't trust anybody in um, government, period, end of sentence. It's not over till it's over. It's, it's interesting that you say that. I'm glad that you do because... The beginning of the movie, I found a little slow. It was, and slow. it could be okay because I wasn't sure if it was my jet lag or but the I fact that I was because flying. Me and Philip were having our last <clears throat> moments together. Well, and that is true, and I, yet I would have sat there all day if they needed me to. Um, but I'm glad I stuck with the movie because it became more and more riveting. And um, I know that Jean Le Carré, he's known to be a more internal writer. So he's not the person that writes these action thriller spy movies. It's much more... But he more, wrote the novel, not the screenplay. Right. The interesting thing, too, about Jean Le Carré is that he was a spy. He worked for the British Foreign Service. And I believe a lot of um, the people of his time, their identities were made known by somebody who kind of blew the whistle. Yeah, well. And he became a full-time writer and has been writing for decades Okay, we definitely have to at some point talk about the plot, right? But can I just say, it's very hard for me, maybe because I went to the University of Nebraska (laughs) and you went to Harvard, it is really hard for me to follow these spy stories with these complex plots. And do they need to take me all those different places? Because I I was confused from the get-go. And I I think that was the intent. But I think um, something that was very well done is that... um, you know, the movie centers around the most wanted man who is um, either a Chechen rebel and a terrorist or someone who had the great misfortune of being born to the wrong father. And so while he is suspected of being a terrorist, you you really don't know. It's just so overshadowed by doubt, um, which makes one think that, again, in this world of operatives and spies, it's very difficult to ferret out the truth of who is good, who is bad, who is doing what out of good intentions, bad intentions. Um, Which, by the way, Homeland also Mm -hmm. brings that home in a really, really strong way. 
It's just that I can follow Homeland, and I couldn't <laughs> follow this. I tried. And probably if I went, I, I was so busy watching him and listening to him and it being about him for me, the experience about him, that I probably lost a lot of the cues. And if I were a smart girl, I would have gone and seen it again. You know, I think it's the kind of movie that you do have to pay attention to the plot very, very carefully to follow it. Mm-hmm. With all the twists and turns, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's funny because maybe I really didn't follow it. I didn't feel as though there were that many twists and turns. I felt as though it was slow and internal. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody trusted anybody mm-hmm. except for, you know, poor Rachel, who, you know, doesn't know enough not to trust people. But it just se- seemed to me like, oh, okay, did we need all of these? I don't even know if we needed all the characters or all the backstory. There's a lot of backstory. Well, I thought it did a good job of showing that slide where you start to lose the line between right and wrong, good and bad. Um, What is the right thing to do? So Rachel McAdams was supposed to be playing a German attorney representing people um, seeking asylum. And there was a great line, of course, wonderfully delivered by Philip Seymour Hoffman, where he said, a lawyer, you're not a lawyer, you're a social worker for terrorists. And I think, again, it set it up that dividing line very well. Was she on the right side? Was she fighting the good fight? Well, I think it, it does beg the question, which I, I think in politics we look at all the time, and I do follow politics a little more carefully than Emily because because <laughs> I'm an idiot is why. But And that is, how many bad things are you allowed to do to do the right thing? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a question I would like to ask a lot, you know, a lot of like, how many bad things can you write off doing to do the right thing? And this is a perfect example of that. Philip Seymour Hoffman. What will we do without him? I'm so, so sad to, to see him take that early uh, doorway out as so many great people who really believe the parts they're playing, you know. And that's so true. I know this has been said of him before, but I felt as though Philip Seymour Hoffman always inhabited his characters completely. So I never feel his acting. I think he is Gunter Bachmann. Every movie I've ever seen him in, um, you know, I certainly, I don't feel a script. I don't feel him doing lines. He's so convincing, um, really, in everything he's ever done. You know what I watched this weekend in preparation for this, actually? Oh, I should have. No, um, and not the master, because you know those are films where he's so so big, and I felt like in this film, he really—it's not his most memorable performance. It's not going to be. It's a great performance, but it's not his most memorable. Which is the one he was in with Ryan Gosling and George Clooney? I don't know. The poster was fabulous, where it's a the cover of Time magazine, and half of it is Ryan Gosling's face, and the other half is George Clooney's face, and it's all about a political candidate. Huh. It's the Ides of March. Oh, I don't think you I've never seen saw it. Oh, you've got to see it. You're yeah. such a political junkie. He did an amazing job where, you know, there's George Clooney is a candidate running for office, and Ryan Gosling is the new up-and-coming um, Bradley Whitford-like character from The West Wing. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is the one who feels as though he's getting shoved to the side. Huh. Um, a I bit will, of a I backstabber. Will I will definitely look it up. And yet he did uh, such an amazing job playing vulnerable later in the movie. I will definitely, definitely, definitely look it up. Mm-hmm. So I will watch it for sure. But Almost Famous is what I saw him in. He was an almost famous? Oh, my gosh. He plays the the writer, you know, who, who sort of walks our protagonist through how to deal with 
deal with all of that it. That was Philip Seymour yes. Hoffman. And it's wow. a, the reason I watched it was because when I thought of his roles and I thought this is not a, you know, it's not the master, it's not Capote, it's not where he's taking over the screen for the entire time and all it is is, you know, the Philip Seymour Hoffman show. Uh-huh. It, this is a, a role where, you know, there's a, there's a whole group of things happening and the plot is bigger than the star. And so for me, Almost Famous was a good one too. He knows so few actors can play both the leading person and a secondary person. He knows how to work with the cast. He knows how to not take the scene each and every time. Mm-hmm. He knows how to slow down or speed up or whatever's needed to make somebody else look good. Right. And he is a giver. The guy was a giver. He really was. And I remember um, a few years ago reading about how he was always looking for roles that would challenge him and scare him, where he, you know, some of the best actors always say this, where if they're not sure they can pull off the role, they know it's a role they should be taking. And then we have to say at the end of this, um, I don't think there's anything else I wanted to sort of bring up around it, but you have to see a most wanted man because this is how we lay him to rest. Mm -hmm. And it's an important thing to do. But also, you know, the Hunger Games, uh, he, you know, is very prominent. Uh, Apparently, they were in the middle of shooting it. And so the second half of this third part of the trilogy, um, you're not going to see him. They sort of wrote him out because he had not finished playing all his roles. But he's very, very good in the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. You know, again, an ensemble player. You know, he knows how to... How to sit in a room with others and and take the back seat, but still stand out as his own space. And I would say that you should definitely go see The Hunger Games. I mean, I I will definitely miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. I remember the first role I ever saw him in was a movie filmed in Boston, where we're recording today. Um, Next Stop Wonderland. Did you ever see it with Hope Davis? Nope. Um, It's a small role, but, um, you know, I'm going to say a pivotal one. Fond Farewell. Fond Farewell. Great, great talent. Und weil 
Weil er lebt, du fehlst. Oh, weil er lacht und weil er lebt, du fehlst. 